We are the Rookie Phenoms. We have an amazing show for you today. I'm your host, Coop, with my main man, Webb. What up? Webb, I feel so good today. I'm all vaxxed up and ready to go. How you feeling? Good, I'm good. We have a lot to get to today. We have an amazing interview coming at the end of the show with Spencer Davies. We're going to talk about who the coach of the year are in the NBA and the drama going down in Indy. Not with the Colts, though, with the Pacers, so I am happy. Webb, are you ready for today's show? Always ready. Let's start with the drama in Indy. Yesterday, Indy coach, assistant coach Greg Foster and Goga Bedice got into a heated altercation on the sideline. They were screaming. I thought Foster wanted to throw some hands. It was impressive. Today, Indy suspended Foster for one game and suspended Goga an undisclosed amount. Indy has drastically underperformed this year. Do you think that's what's causing all the drama in Indy? Yeah, I think anytime there's a team that's losing, there's bound to be some tension. And especially when you have incompetent coaching staff, it's just even worse. It just accelerates that whole process. So last year they had coach Nate McMillan. They went 45 and 28. That was not good enough. So they hired other coach with a terrible last name. And now they are 30 and 35 in the ninth seed in the East. Does this coach, Nate, get another year? No. Ax him. Okay. But my question to you, it's really important, is are there any other coach Nate candidates? Because I don't think Indy wants to look for a guy with a different name. <laughs> Good question. I'll have to look into that if there's another Nate, another Nathan out there. But, um, yeah, he's going to be gone soon. I don't think they're going to fire him this year. They should. But I think they give him one more year. I think he has a lot of COVID excuses. I think you might see a bunch of coaches keep their job that probably shouldn't. I think he's 100% gone. <laughs> Honestly, there's no there's no excuse for the team to be doing as poorly as they are. I, I think he deserves to be fired. But firing a coach two years in a row, I think that shows it makes the organization look worse than it is. Do you know what I mean? It makes them look poorly rather than the coach. I think that's why he might get another deer. Yeah, to be honest, I think it's a badly run organization and the whole like heads might roll everywhere. You think Larry B is going to get fired? No, um, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, like this team's a really good team on paper. And I know TJ Warren got hurt and I know that Miles um, Turner can't really stay healthy, but this team should be better than the ninth seed. Everyone's gone through injuries and everyone's gone through um, absences due to COVID protocols. I don't think Indy's had it any worse than other teams. So I... we'll see what happens. They've had a lot of injuries. Like Sabonis has been out a while. Turner was out for a while. I, I'm not sure they're worse than other teams, but I think they've been, they've been pretty hard hit. They haven't had their full team, I think, at all, like for the whole year, basically. But neither have the Clippers or the Lakers, um, Dallas, a bunch of teams that are still finding ways to to thrive. The Raptors are doing poorly, but. I mean, they're not that much worse than the, the Pacers, and they've had they've had a lot of absenteeism there. So let's calm it down with the Lakers thriving. Okay, they're almost in the play. They're almost in the playing game. All right, let's calm it down there a little bit. Oh, we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, but everyone's it, been hit. Like, oh, I agree. Brooklyn's I think, been hit bad too. Like, who's been hit worse than Brooklyn? 
in terms of superstars. I have no sympathy for Brooklyn. None. Brooklyn <laughs> asked for this. What they get? I think a lot of coaches might get a, a, a do-over year, not just in Indy but across the league. I honestly don't think so because I think this year is kind of like the rebound year. Like fans are starting to come in um, into stands. Uh, the COVID cases have gone down a lot more than it did in the bubble last year, and I, I honestly don't think coaches are going to get um, going to get that, especially after like a, a, a an expose that was written um, that showed how bad this was. It's not just a rift between one player and and Nate. It seems like the whole team. It seems like this is a history. Like he, this is what he does, and he only got the job because he's buddies with uh, he was buddies with the hiring staff. Like I didn't hear any complaints about him in Toronto, so I'm kind of surprised by all this news that's come up. I think because Toronto's a better run organization. What do you think Indiana's record at home is this year? They played 31 games at home. Mm. Are they 500 or close to 500? They are not. Ooh, way under. Way under 11 and 20, 100%. 11 and 20. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. That's yeah. that's why they might get fired. That's why he could everyone could go. That's unacceptable. That's that's inexcusable. But like this team, this team is good on paper. I know TJ Warren was a big reason that they thrived last year, like on the offense. He was their guy, like he was hot in the bubble, and uh, he's been out for almost all the year. and this team shouldn't be that bad. I'm sorry. Like, I, don't, I have no sympathy for Indiana, especially after firing Nate McMillan for no reason. Nah. Well, well I agree. No reason. They get no sympathy for me either. Yeah. The whole state of Indiana is on my hit list right now. I am furious at everybody though. <laughs> no, but like, they fired Nate McMillan. If you fire him, you better have a damn good replacement for him. And you roll the dice on this unknown guy who's good buddies with um with nick nurse and he's good buddies with the gm there uh boucher like no nah, you you're gonna have to live and die with this well i agree if, if he goes he goes i just i think owners might not want to pay coaches extra salary without the revenue from games they may be cheaper yeah. this year too that's the thing too like you don't have fans in the seats you might say you know what I don't want to pay out $10 million over the next two years to a guy we're not coaching. Maybe. But what happens when like there's rumors that TJ Warren did not want to play for this guy at all, having played for him in Phoenix and then now playing for him in Indiana. What if that starts to go a little viral and a lot of the teammates come out and say like, we don't want to play for this guy. I I think TJ Warren's problem is he's not a big enough star to complain. He's a big star in a, in, a, in a small pond. Big fish in a small pond there. Well, let's calm it down. He's okay. He's the guy. No, no. I mean, okay. In terms of his stature, like, compared to other NBA players, small potato. Like, he's nothing. But, like, they're in Indy. Like, he was responsible for their success last year. I'm not saying they should make a statue for TJ Warren. I'm just saying, like, I give him more clout than new Nate. No, he, he doesn't have coach get fired clout yet. He's not... Uh, he's not Jimmy Butler. <laughs> no, Jimmy Butler gets all the coaches fired. <laughs> he's not Trey Young. He doesn't have that kind of thing yet. You know, like he can't do it. All right, that's that's fair. Yeah, but maybe one day. Probably not. Probably not. Let's talk about some coaches that are not going to get fired this year. Our coach of the year rankings. We're going to do the top three. 
I think we're going to agree on the top two, but in different order. I think that's okay. going to happen. Right. Let's start with number three. Who is your number three coach for coach of the year? Monty Williams. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. I think I had Monty Williams as one of my coach of the year candidates when we did our preview show way back when. And um, a lot of people are going to attribute the success for Phoenix to Chris Paul. And I think Chris Paul deserves a lot of credit, but Monty Williams is a, is a great coach too. Um, he gets jobs for a reason. He has a good reputation. He does well. Uh, Devin Booker's clicking. They're doing all this and they've completely marginalized DeAndre Ayton in the offense completely. And they're, still, <laughs> they're even better now. I think the best thing about that statement is you said that because you have him in fantasy. And that's the yes. only reason you commented negatively about DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that offense is thriving. Uh, uh, Bridges is doing well. Um, they're just flourishing. They brought in Jay Crowder. They have obviously Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the biggest new addition there. Uh, Saric has been playing well. They have a good collective uh, group of players. And Devin Booker has been playing off the charts. Phoenix is the number two seed in the West. I didn't think they'd be that high, um, but I th- he's my number three. Great pick. I love Monty Williams. My number three pick is Doc Rivers in Indy. Sorry, in Philly. Oh, I, I, I thought he was going to be a number one. Honestly, he was, and I changed it because I expected this to happen in Philly. I said all before the season started, they're the number one seed. They will be the best team in the East. They're the finals team. So I can't act surprised that Doc did it because I thought it was going to happen. Getting Embiid to play as hard as he is. When Embiid's been playing, he's the MVP. He just hasn't played enough games. Ben Simmons is still Ben Simmons, but I guess you have to deal with that at this point because he's never going to shoot the ball more than eight feet away from the basket. I think he is what he is at this point. Yeah, I I thought Doc could kind of unleash the three-point game from him. Apparently, Doc isn't that good a coach. That's why he's in third. Can't turn water to wine, man. Not everyone can do that. I think Ben Simmons... He might, he might win Defensive Player of the Year, and he's my most disappointing player in the NBA this year. If that somehow makes sense. That's fine. Coop, who, who did I choose for my Defensive Player of the Year back, back in our... Uh, our it's Ben Simmons, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it mine too? Maybe. I don't know. I think it was mine too. I just want to credit. <laughs> <laughs> who is your number two coach of the year? Might surprise you. Okay. Quinn Snyder. From Utah. From Utah. Oh, wow. My number Quinn, two. Quinn Snyder did not make my list. Oh, okay. Heads up, little heads up there. I'm trying to think who your number two is. Okay. Um, and you gave a great rationale for giving Doc, for knocking Doc a peg, down a peg. It's kind of a reason why I didn't give Quinn Snyder number one. Utah was on an upward trajectory for the last few years. This team's been together for a while. Um and there's been a lot of in- injuries in the West. I think that kind of helped Utah move up a bit. If the Lakers were healthy, if the Clippers were healthy, um, they would have given Utah some more trouble. I don't think they would have had 48 wins at this point um, or whatever they have. Um, not to take away from, from Utah, because Utah has been slinging the three and shooting it at like probably the most efficient clip we've seen. And they're a really, really, really good team. And they're deep. Utah has been excellent. They're 29 and four at home. If they get the one seed, they're going to be really hard to beat come playoff time. Really good team. I, I think Quinn Snyder's done an excellent job. The reason he did not make my list is because Utah being 
what were they a three or four seed last year? Um, I don't remember. Somewhere around there. They weren't they weren't very far. Like they weren't yeah. far down. That's why this isn't that surprising to me. I thought this was a really good team. They have two stars. Quinn Snyder does put up with Rudy Gobert, though. So maybe I should have given him more credit because that's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna agree on the number one then? I think we are because my number two is Monty Williams in Phoenix. Okay. Uh, everything you said about Monty is 100% accurate. I think Chris Paul gets most of the credit for Phoenix. I thought about Monty as number one because I I think I had them as the eight or nine seed coming in. I didn't. I am shocked by how well they're doing, but I don't know if it's Monty Williams or Chris Paul. Who gets more credit? I think right. it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to decide because Chris Paul is their closer. He's the guy that gets things done. Chris Paul's been excellent, but Monty Williams deserves, he's in the running for sure. I think the number one guy is far and away, though, the coach of the year. So just for reference, Utah was the sixth seed last year. Really? Yeah. I thought they were like the four. That's okay. No, that Maybe I Houston. did downplay him then. Hmm. Okay. But I think their bubble play was so hot. Everyone expected big things out of Utah this year. Yes. Okay, who is your number one coach of the year? Tibbs. 100%. Had to be Tibbs. him. Okay. So I, I I was really ready for war with you, man. I was ready to, I was ready to go in. Like, no. I thought you were going to give me flack for Tibbs. No. The only difference in New York from a coaching perspective, like, really, I'm not saying – Tibbs obviously brought in his own staff. But the real difference, Leon Rose from a from a from an organizational perspective, James Dolan's still there, but Tibbs came in and Tibbs completely transformed the culture of the Knicks. This team was the laughing stock of major sports. Um, now they're the number one team in terms of uh, defense, in terms from a opponents points per game, uh, opponents field goal percentage. They defend the three the best. And they've been beating some of the best teams. And Julius Randle looks like an MVP candidate, honestly. Um, Julius Randle's ascension and RJ Barrett's play are the two reasons I think Tibbs is coach of the year. And who's New York's point guard? Honestly. It's Derrick Rose. Right. A washed up Derrick Rose. And sometimes they bring in quickly. Sometimes it's Alfred Payton. They don't have a good roster, really. He's doing all this with blue collar and- players. Derrick Rose was the guy Tibbs demanded come come to town. Yeah, they didn't want him. Tibbs was like, "No, I want Derrick Rose here. He's the guy," and he makes this whole thing go. He's he been excellent for them, and he did that in Minnesota too. I think Tibbs feels Tibbs felt bad that he destroyed Derrick Rose's career, so he keeps giving them jobs. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably crazy. what happened. This team is like Nerlens Noel. The Knicks' first round pick Obi Toppin is invisible. Yeah. They passed on Tyrese. They passed on um, Cole Anthony. They passed on a whole host of guys. I think Tyrese really would have helped them. <laughs> I yeah. think they might regret that right now. Yeah, they passed Stop on, and doesn't play. Yeah, they passed on a whole host of guys and still are going to have home court advantage. They are um, having their first winning season in like almost 10 years. It's crazy. The Knicks have been excellent. It's 100% impressive. And Tibbs is the main reason for that. Everyone has gotten better with him in control. Like he's running things and people get better. It's really good. Okay, Webb, let's get to our interview now with Spencer Davies. Uh, he is the host of the Keep It at 94 podcast with Brian Fitz. Fritz. Sorry, He's at Spin Davies on Twitter and he writes at, at basketballnews.com. Okay, and we now have Spencer Davies on the pod. He is on Twitter at Spin Davies. 
He writes at basketballnews.com and he is the host of the Keep It at 94 podcast with Brian Fritz. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you, gentlemen. How you doing? Very good. We're good, Glad Spencer. To Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Let's pod. <laughs> Let's get right to it. The play-in games are coming up very shortly. What do you think of them? There's been some complaints. Your boy LeBron is very upset. Luka Doncic does not like it. Do you think they're a good idea? My boy LeBron. I'm assuming that's a Cleveland connection thing we're doing here. I don't but, uh, <laughs> here, let's let's start here. Let's start here. Uh, is it excessive because it goes down all the way to the 10 seed? Maybe. Uh, I do like the idea of a play-in tournament, though, because there's always teams that are close to ch- to each other in the standings at the end of the season. What what is wrong with that? I don't see anything that's wrong with that. Um, I, I know a lot of it. And the uh, the perspective of it comes in with the pandemic and, you know, seeing it as a money grab. And even though that might be the case, I think giving an opportunity to do a team and incentivizing against tanking is a good idea. You look at how much co- competition is happening this season. Uh, there's quite a few teams that are in the mix still. Um, it's not just those you know top 20 teams. It's the other teams that are fighting to get into that top 20. Um, so I, I think it's a unique idea. Could it be executed a little differently? Sure. Uh, but for a trial run and to see how this goes uh, moving forward and for the future of the NBA, I don't mind it at all. Uh, and you notice that the teams that complain about it the most are the ones that are almost getting into it uh, at the top or, or that are falling out of the playoff standings in the, the top six. Those are the teams that are complaining the most. Um, and I, I feel like you should ask the perspective of the teams that are fighting for those spots. Teams like Toronto and New Orleans, uh, the ones that are currently holding those spots like Washington, San Antonio, see what their thoughts are on the play-in tournament because it gives them a reason to compete and doesn't give them a reason to fold the season too early. So I, I agree with some of the points that you made, Spencer. I see both sides of it. I see why teams would gripe against this, especially teams for the entire year. I think Luca made the point and even uh, Mark Cuban echoed it. You play 72 games, it's a cumulative effort. Why reward teams that struggled from the beginning or weren't putting their all into it and now have this last minute push when teams have been playing their butts off all year? I also see the other side of it. Um, even from a fan perspective, a lot of people tune out once the setting, once the standings are, are set, right? The seeds are set. If one to seven are set or one to eight are set, what are, what's the point of watching the last couple of weeks? Exactly. So I, I see the incentive. I see both sides. And I definitely agree with you. If you had asked LeBron or you asked the Lakers in November or December what their thoughts were on the playing play games, they'd probably say it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant because they were projected to finish um, one of, as one of the top seeds. But now that they're reeling, and I'm a Laker fan, um, I don't like the idea right now for my team because I'm in that my team is in that position. I didn't care about it before. The games are good, the ones that we watched last year, but now that in the thick of it, um, it's it, it's it's nerve wracking. Yeah, and you and you don't know that you know what the the solution is going forward. If this is a one time thing, because it is a somewhat shortened season with only seventy two games. Usually, you play eighty two in a season, um, but. I personally like that there's competition uh, this late in the year and the regular season has been something that's been an issue 
uh, just from a ratings perspective and from an interest perspective uh, with these teams. So what's way to kind of invigorate somebody to to tune into a team that's five games under 500 when they play somebody, right? Uh, you Take an example, uh, th- just last night, uh, the Washington Wizards, who have been on fire, um, taking the Bucks to the brink, really, in Milwaukee, uh, falling short by one point. They're still hanging on uh, to that 10th spot and are ahead of Toronto by, you know, three, three games, two and a half games. And they're, you know, playing their butts off. Their season might have been done uh, after all of those, you know, COVID protocols and such like that. But post All-Star break, they found a groove. They find themselves actually competing for something right now. Uh, that's where I think you get a perspective of that's where the play-in tournament is kind of beneficial. It gave a team that got ravaged by injuries and by bad luck an opportunity to continue to play for something. And then once they gelled, really you know, put themselves in position to make some noise. See, I love what you said, Spencer, because you took a position. Webb is a notorious fence sitter. He will take both sides of the same position. And then whatever side ends up being right, he'll say, no, that was, that's what I wanted to do. So I appreciate <laughs> I'm usually, I'm, the, the irony is I'm usually a fence sitter because I don't want to piss anybody off. <laughs> like <laughs> I was asked about all NBA teams earlier and you could just do, you could see the nervousness on my face. <laughs> like, I'm just like, uh, okay. So I know that there's like three shoe-ins and then that's about it. That's as far as I'll go. You know what I think another thing is? I think the, the one seeds and the two seeds are a little nervous playing these hot teams like when Portland was hot last year, or if you see like Washington coming out or, 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 or Golden State or, or one of these teams, I think it, it makes the top seeds a little nervous with that no, momentum. It does. It does. Because you don't want to catch the team at the wrong time, right. uh, especially in the case of what usually happens in the NBA season down the stretch as you start resting players because you want to prep, you want to be able to have the proper preparation uh, the, the, the bodies, the mileage on the bodies from the season, you want to make sure that they're healthy going into your first playoff series. Uh, while the other teams they're playing together, they've continued to, to have their schedule and to constantly battle to find their way into these situations. So that's probably why those top seeds would have a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a I guess, cautious approach when they play these teams that are fighting tooth and nail to get to the positions that they're in. Uh, one thing too, about the play in tournament format that, that I don't mind is, you know, the seven seeds are, are, you know, kind of acting like this is, this is, you know, not good for them or whatever, but the seven seeds, they're basically in, it doesn't matter. Like if they win, they're in at seven. If they lose, they're in at eight. Like, you know, like that there's the logistics of it. We'll see how it plays out. And actually that might be incorrect the way I said that, <laughs> but but regardless, you're, you're going to find your way in. We don't fact check around here. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, what was it? It's uh, they do seven versus eight, nine versus ten. Winner of seven, eight gets the seven. And then the, the winner of the nine, ten versus the loser of the seven, eight gets the eight spot. That's how it goes. <laughs> so you mentioned the Wizards. What, Russell Westbrook is on a tear as of late and basically for the whole season. Averaging 11 rebounds, 11 assists, 21 points. Are we not paying enough attention to Westbrook this year? He's having a historical year. You, If you're not paying attention by now, then you're just not a basketball fan. And that goes against every argument you can bring to the table about the quote-unquote stat padding and whatnot. See, I find that ridiculous. I really do. And I know that 
some statistics are a little inflated these days because the pace is, is faster. The defense isn't quite as physical. And, and I know all that, but if you just genuinely appreciate the drive that Russell Westbrook has, he had a quote a few weeks ago about how he truly believes that there's no one that's ever played the game like he has. And I'm inclined to agree with him. Tell me what guy at his age with the amount of experience that he's had has the same gas tank for the amount of time that he's had and played in this league. There's no way there's nobody that plays with that same energy from the tip to the final buzzer, the way that he has. And somehow this is somebody that's supposed to take a regression because he's getting older. He depended on athleticism early in his career. That's not quite as much there anymore. He still has flashes where he can go in for a solid dunk on fast break, whatever it may be, but he's had to be cerebral a little bit more. He's had to take care of the ball a little bit more, uh, dependent more on skill than athleticism is basically what I'm trying to get at. And he struggled with that early in the season, admittedly, but he was also hurt. Now that you've seen him when he's healthy, he's just doing these unprecedented things. Guys, he's three three triple doubles away from breaking the most in the history of the NBA, and that's Oscar Robertson. And you're telling me that your argument, or at least National Pundit's arguments, is that this guy isn't impacting winning? I just think, I think that's nuts. There are certain situations where it calls for it and says, okay, yeah, that's probably not conducive to winning as much as someone who doesn't have quite as flashy of stats. And I understand that. But in this case, he is absolutely impacting winning. There's no question around it. There, there is no argument saying that the Wizards are better off without Russell Westbrook. The fit in Houston last year was atrocious. Let's be honest. <laughs> but before that, I feel like he's always been the same player. Uh, I think when he plays intelligently, he is one of the best that we have in our game. And he should be somebody that you appreciate when you watch just for the sheer fact that he has, he, he just has unlimited energy. It's, it's insane. I think that, well, I agree with you on everything you said. Russell Westbrook being the villain in the media, part of it is in part due to what he's, the way he's, conducted himself with the media. He's very acerbic, um, very aggressive, and rubs a lot of members of the media the wrong way. So I think the way that they write about him reflects that relationship that they have. Which isn't fair. It's not fair at all. Mm -hmm. And when he won the triple-double in that year when KD left OKC and everyone wrote off Oklahoma City, I think it was in large part because they had sympathy for Westbrook staying in that small town. When he was recording the triple doubles and he was getting them to the playoffs, it was a different, a different narrative for Russell Westbrook. And then after that, he turned back into the villain again. And it's really unfair what they do to Russ. I love Russ. I I, I echo the same statements that you have. Complete unbridled energy. Um, very intense. Like I think sometimes he's a little too intense for people, and but that's just who he is. Like all these great players have some quirky weird thing about them that sets them apart right and it helps drive them to that that echelon of 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 uh, professionalism and and skill and being elite but i think it's incredible what he's doing and i think honestly it's just what a lot of the media tends to spin things as luka Doncic records a triple double dallas mavericks mavericks win and it's it's, it's fantastic it's celebrated russell westbrook uh 
performs a triple double, what, even if it's a, with efficient numbers, and they're still, you know, highlighting the mistakes that he's made. He's made this many turnovers, or he should have passed the ball here. He's, I think, number four in um, assists that did not, or what in in assists that would have been assist. Uh, sorry, I'm not saying that right. Potential assists. Potential assists mm-hmm. that should have been assists, but you know, obviously the person he passed to either passed it off or or or, or they didn't hit the field goal. He's number four in that on top of leading the league in, in, in assists per game. Like it's just, it's, it's the person they're going after guys. It gets that it gets Indiana the other day. He had 14 points, but he had 21 rebounds and 24 assists. He, I don't know how many points he created, but he probably had to create at least three fourths, 80%, 85% of those points. Like I just, I never got the, you know, he's not beyond reproach. Don't get me wrong. There are flaws within his game. Sometimes he does play too passionate and too uh, aggressive and gets himself in the crappy situations. Like when he takes a a pull-up three uh, early in the shot clock, or if he takes a mid-range pull-up where he tries to go glass and misses it, right? There, There are opportunities. There are possessions where he can be better. Don't get me wrong. But the majority of this post all-star break, he has been unreal. Like there's no other way to describe it. You can't, you can't say he hasn't been conducive to winning. That's completely off, off base. That's not fact. Um, And if anyone still has that viewpoint, then that's just a preconceived notion and a stubbornness that they're not going to admit that they're wrong. I think the reason the media is so hard on him now is when they gave him that MVP, it was because he stayed in OKC. And when they left, they felt like the media felt that he betrayed the town. I think that's why they're so harsh on him now. It's not deserved, but I think that's their thinking, which I think is ridiculous. Well, he didn't really necessarily leave OKC. I don't know if he, I don't know what the situation is. I'm obviously not on the beat in OKC or in Houston, but he, you know, he gets dealt over to Houston and, uh, you know, partners up with James Harden. We all know how that one went. Um, it, it didn't work out great. Uh, but I, I think that it's less about the decision. I think he's been a stand-up guy his entire career. I think that he's had moments where he's looked a little a little sore losery, uh, you know, particularly with the Damian Lillard stuff. Um, but that's just also being a competitor. And, uh, you know, that's who he is. He's always going to be someone that hates losing. Um, but again, I, I, I don't know why there's this, you know, stigma attached to his name because he couldn't be more of a professional. You'll never hear a teammate say anything bad about Russell Westbrook. And, um, if that's the case and his teammates go to bat for him, then it, it probably doesn't make a damn difference. Uh, what, what those talking heads are saying about him. Yeah. And, and, and just to add, like in terms of Houston, in retrospect, Houston was a toxic culture. If we look at a year and a half ago, the people who were in Houston, who's still there now, like not even PJ Tucker still remains on that team. That team is completely different. So although it didn't work out with Harden, uh, one Russ was coming in injured that year too. He, um, he, he had COVID and, 
you know, we didn't know the full effects. We still don't know the full effects of what that does on your body. So it took him a while to to get back into game shape. I think it was only until halfway through the bubble that he started to turn it on. And then this year, like you already alluded to, he was he was hurt too. So I think that the media highlights a lot of the the flaws in his game and maybe in his personality um, more than you know the good things that he does on the court. Like I would love to have a teammate like Russ. And he's and he's been extremely media friendly too this year. So th- that's why I think it's even crazier that they're you know they're not really you know I don't want to see on his side because you're not supposed to root for anyone in this space, but like at least acknowledging the history that he's making. Okay. So Spence, Spencer, sorry, before, before you came on Webb and I did our top three coach of the year candidates. So I wanted to ask you the other side of the coin, who are the most likely coaches to lose their job at the end of the season? And are they warranted? Okay. So uh, this is a good question. I think that the, the, the reports that are coming out of Indiana are insane. Um, just all of that, all of that, you know, in locker room stuff about Nate Bjorkren being a little bit of a micromanager, uh, how he's, he's kind of lost the locker room, how guys, um, aren't really a fan of the way that he's going over people's heads. Um, I can't speak to that. I'm not around that team, so I wouldn't really know as much, but I mean, publicly you saw exactly what happened between Greg Foster and Goga Batadze on Wednesday night when they had that little dust up. Um, that's interesting. Uh, TJ Warren denied that he ever requested a trade when Bjorkren got hired, but apparently that was something uh, that was reported by Bleacher Reports Jake Fisher um, in that situation. Uh, Bjorkren's got a, a great relationship with Chad Buchanan, uh, but that is looking like a, a plug pull after one year, uh, which would be pretty crazy uh but at the same time uh, just based on how things are going i don't know if the pacers are speaking more on emotion than 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 actual decision making at the moment um or if league you know the league sources are, are are feeling that way because of the emotion at the moment uh but i i think that that could be one you keep an eye on uh certainly another uh that that's surfaced a little is uh terry stotts with the blazers uh this is more of a case of having a new voice in the building. Uh, they've kind of been the, the same in the same position for a number of years now. Um, that's not really by his own fault. I wouldn't say just because of the injuries that they've had this season, CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, obviously Damian Lillard's had to go super Saiyan for them to win this year. Uh, during that time period, they have caught a little bit of a hot stretch now, but I, I feel like they went out and got, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. to fix up their defense. And while they've been good defensively individually, it hasn't changed the fact that Portland's allowing a lot, a lot, a lot of points. Um, So if those guys don't get out of the first round this season, I could see Stotts out. Um, And and that would be a a shame just because of what he's done for that franchise uh, almost a decade with them. and, And he's really turned things around. Uh, for that team. Uh, but that's another name that I think would come up. Uh, I, I think one, a team that's been rather successful this season, but could have someone on the hot seat is someone like Rick Carlisle uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, just because, you know, with, with a, a bona fide superstar and uh, MVP candidate and, and Luke 
Luka Doncic, uh, you should probably be succeeding a little bit more. Their defense has not been the crispest this year either. Um, and they've had to, you know, deal with injuries themselves. This has been a crazy season, guys. Like, it's probably so hard for general managers and front office execs to evaluate when you don't have any continuity and see when these pieces come together because they're not on the floor. Like it's, it's not easy. It's not. Um, but those are a few names. Uh, I know Scott Brooks came up, but you know, we just mentioned that they're fighting for a play in spot and that could, you know, change the the trajectory of that decision. Luke Walton's name has been floated out there, but the Kings have started to find something a little bit here in the last six games, uh, really playing defense and and doing a good job without DR and Fox. We'll see if they sneak their way into the play in game. Who knows? Um, but those would probably be my, my names to watch. And then just thinking out loud, my dark horse would be Brad Stevens, maybe, uh, just because the Celtics have had a little bit of of issues there. Um, and again, these are just all speculation, but just looking at the scenarios and the situations of these teams, uh, those would, those would probably be my picks. Spencer, I wish I could shake your hand right now, man. (laughs) Why you say that? (laughs) That Brad Stevens pick, I was literally going to say that as soon as you were you were uh finished yeah because brad stevens does not get enough flack he seems like he's still in this honeymoon phase the man has been coaching since doc rivers left he has he has this is his eighth season and he's done absolutely nothing i'm not giving the celtics any excuses because they had stacked teams and they did nothing and we're still giving this guy an excuse because when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were hurt a few years ago, they went what to the conference finals. Um, wow. Okay. That's, I don't think Boston hired him after having doc and go to two finals and win one championship for a guy to just be a Eastern conference finals um, contender. So I don't think he gets enough flack. Um, He's almost at that Atlanta Hawks, Mike Budenholzer level as, as far as his success goes. Yeah. I, I feel like that would be a, a, a solid comp for, for Brad, the way that he's had uh, this team playing well in the regular season, but then, you know, flopping in the postseason. Uh, but at the same time, this season has not been good in regards to the regular season. So no. uh, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I think that they could look to change a direction just because he's been there for, Let's let's count them up. Eight seasons, eight seasons that he's had with that team. Different personnel, different players. You got three all stars on your team, or all star caliber players on your team this year. Like, sometime time's got to be up, right? Yeah, it's not like you were Coach Calipari or one of those coaches who came in from the college level, the collegiate level, and you just have this this long leash. Yeah, you're successful in Butler relative to Butler, but I, I just think he doesn't get enough uh, mention in the media as being on the hot seat. If Boston fired him after he turned down the Indiana job, that would be the <laughs> most ruthless thing in sports history. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here for that, it. Let's go. <laughs> that would be such a regret on Brad's part. If he were to actually do that, if he turned it down and then he ended up getting canned. Oh man, that'd just be terrible. Luck. He'd be able to find a college job real quick though. And probably an NBA assistant job. I'm not saying that Brad's not skilled, but like championship coach wise so far, he's not been able to prove that. And and he's, and he's had, and he's had the, the talent to at least go farther than he has. 
I agree with you. I read your article, uh, your interview with Derek White today. Thank you. I, I appreciate I thought it was, that. It was amazing. Everyone go check it out at basketballnews.com. It's amazing. What do you think about his future and the future of the Spurs in general? They have a, a really talented young core. Where do you see this going? So uh, it goes back again to staying healthy. <laughs> I feel like I'm a broken record when I talk about that. Um, I like the pieces that they have. Um, moving on from DeMar, I think should be something they consider soon. Not that this is his fault. I think he's having his probably his best individual season since his last year in Toronto this year, uh, especially just being that lead ball handler, getting the playmaking side of things done, um, really being uh, a, a efficient player, uh, stepping up uh, as much as he can on the defensive end. I think that He's really done a solid job, and he's gone kind of unheralded this year, uh, just because the 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 Spurs record is not is not good. Uh, you know, they're three three games under five hundred. This is a team that we're used to amazing success, and uh, you know, this is in the form of a long playoff streak that got snapped in the nineteen twenty season. I think they had twenty in a row, twenty twenty two years, whatever it may be. This core, though, I am very excited about. Um, I, I like the youth movement that they have. Uh, you mentioned Derek White. Again, you know, I go one-on-one with him. He's somebody that can really fill up the three. He, he didn't show it this year, but that's also because he, he said that the offseason was shortened and then the COVID protocols that messed with, messed with it a little bit. But you look at DeJounte Murray as backcourt partner, a defensive menace, okay, somebody who can get to the rack, He's, he's a solid playmaker. He can get rebounds. He's got great size. Um, I, I really like his game. Keldon Johnson, somebody who kind of came out of nowhere this year. It's only his second year. He's 21 years old. Spent a long time with the, the Austin Spurs last season in the G League. Uh, but again, another 29th overall pick that uh, the Spurs went out and, and scouted and, and found, found something in. Uh, and, and that's somebody who plays with a ruthlessness uh, that I really like. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't know if I would consider him a part of the young core, um, especially because he wasn't drafted there. But uh, Jakob Pertle, somebody who is turning into one of the NBA's best defensive rim protectors. Um, you got a guy like Lonnie Walker, um, who's another guard that has a bright future with that team, uh, improving as a three-point shooter and, and really finding a role. Um, they've got a, a lot of talent. Uh, that needs developing, needs experience. And, and that goes on the court together as well, not just individually. And they have some solid veterans to show them the way. They've got LaMarcus Aldridge. Or, I'm not sorry. They've got DeMar DeRozan. They've got Patty Mills. Uh, guys can really show them the ropes. Even Gorgie Jang to an extent. Rudy Gay. Um, this, this is the way to kind of transition. And that's what the article was about. The era that they're transitioning into. We all know the Spurs as as title town. This is a, a team that has great respect in the NBA circles. And Derek white was lucky enough to be a part of a team in his rookie year that had manager Ginobili and Tony Parker in their final seasons. So he learned what it was like to be a professional from those guys. And now it's his turn and it's DeJounte's turn to be the ones to pass that knowledge on to the next generation. So I, I think that the Spurs uh, are in a good spot that way that it's kind of going to trickle down. Uh, it might not come in playoff success in the first, you know, the next couple years, whatever it may be, but they're going to, to 
be somewhere uh, that I think the franchise will be happy with. Uh, I am wondering how much longer Greg Popovich is going to stick around just because he's been there forever. <laughs> but uh, obviously the, the transitional period is something that, that those young guys are proud to be a part of, uh, but they're also going to have to carry that onus of wearing those Spurs colors going forward. And that's a tough burden to have put on you. Yeah, I, I agree. I love the young core that the Spurs have. I'm very surprised and kind of disappointed that the record is what it is. They're very fun to watch. The ball movement is fascinating. And their ability to hit the three is 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 crazy. Um, in a tough division, though. And they don't have that that guy um, yet. I, I do hope that they can improve. I agree with you that Pop, I don't know how many years he has left. And I also don't know how many people are signing. Big names will be signing with the Spurs. I, I feel like they're a team that very much so builds their team through the draft. So I hope it, they can compete. It's It's got to be organic. And that's what the Spurs do. They scout and they rebuild and they reload, so to speak. Um, and that's what they've done with this, you know, this, these four. They they've Like I said, they've got... Derek White, DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson. I didn't mention Devin Vassell, somebody they drafted this year who's still quite young. He's a rookie that's 20 years old uh, and finding his way. So it, you just kind of, it's all about opportunity with these guys. And uh, they're going to learn by, by watching the players in front of them. Um, the, the last two years, guys that got drafted like Keldon and Lonnie. Um, not not so much Derek White and DeJounte who play a, a very much larger role at this point. But that that's going to pay off for them in the long run. And um, I, I think that you're, you're seeing it too because Keldon got thrown into the fire. Lonnie's getting thrown into the fire because of the injuries. Um, and uh, they're, they're starting to gain some very valuable experience. I'm going to get you out of here on this last question. I think everyone thinks the Lakers and Nets are going to play in the finals. Do you agree with that? Or are there some underrated teams that you think have a good chance at a title run? Would y'all think I'm crazy to say that there's seven teams that I think could win the NBA championship? Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> explain. I'll, I'll, I'll answer after that. So for me, in basketball and the NBA, is going to come down to sort of the same things. You need a star or you need several stars. You need to shoot the three. You need to defend. You need to capitalize on turnovers. I think there are only a handful of teams that can do that. Brooklyn is stacked, top-heavy, healthy James Harden, healthy Kyrie, healthy KD. I think there's no way that anyone stops him in the East, to be honest, and I've always felt that way. Um, barring injury, that's the caveat. Who are your seven? Because I'm really interested in this. Yeah. Okay, I will tell you my seven. Uh, I, I'll go with the top three in the East, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. I'm going to go Utah, Phoenix. Clippers, Lakers. I can those see are, those are my seven. I definitely see the Clippers. I see Philly. I'll, sh- I'll show you. I'll show you why I think Utah and Phoenix. Phoenix, I'll give you because Chris Paul is just a huge difference maker. So you can't count them out. He needs to stay healthy in the playoffs too. I think I agree with you. Stylistically, you look at teams like Philly, Utah, and Phoenix. They can play in the half court, and if team can play in the half court and execute in the half court. Defensively and offensively, when things slow down in the playoffs, that's big time. I understand the the star power and and threat of Brooklyn. <laughs> they can shoot the lights out. I love their their role players are probably my favorite in the league to tell you the honest truth. 
like a Joe Harris that is shooting the cover off of the ball. Uh, you know, a Landry Shamit who's really come into his own in the second part of this season. Bruce Brown, one of my most underrated players in the league uh, as far as defensive presence goes. Jeff Green, I call him Uncle, I, I call him reliable, re- reliable Uncle Jeff. That's that's because <laughs> he's always been around, right? Um, I I love I love the the role players they have on that team. Um, TLC, yeah, TLC, Blake Griffin. Uh, they, they've got pieces. Mike James has randomly come in there and made a difference. Alize Johnson, like they they are deep. Uh, don't get me wrong on that one. Um, the the concern I have with the the big three is that they've played seven games together. And if their first if if they've only played seven games together, and I know it's supposed to work, and 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 talent is supposed to be good on paper, and it should be unstoppable. It's just for me, I need you need to see it in the postseason. I think first, like. It, you need to see it work in the postseason, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like, and and we know the track record um, of a Kevin Durant and a Kyrie Irving. They've won championships already. James Harden has not, by no fault of his own. I think that he absolutely is good in the playoffs. I would dispel that that misconception right away. Um, sure, he didn't do well, you know, in some certain series when they had a chance to take that that step up. But I feel like he's you know, loathe a little too much in the playoffs uh, by some. Uh, but th- just all three of them putting it together. And then also the defensive uh, concerns that I have with the Nets, um, I think are very, very valid. Um, do they have the, the the gumption to win it? Absolutely, they do. They have a great staff. They have a great team. Um, but I just, I have to see it work in year one. Is this a dynasty? It absolutely could be. But in year one, I'm kind of teetering. Um, with Philly, I just kind of like Doc being in charge, having Embiid and Simmons play well together, having that that third piece like Tobias Harris having an outstanding season after struggling last year, uh, bringing in a vet like Danny Green, somebody also like Seth Curry that can shoot the lights out. I, I, I like them bringing in a George Hill as a backup point guard. Matisse Thibel, somebody that if if someone's struggling on defense in the starting lineup, they can just boom, put Matisse right in there and put him on the best player because he's that good defensively. Um, I think that poses a lot of problems. Um, Utah, Phoenix, I think they're very similar uh, with one another just by execution again in the half court, the ball movement, the, 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 the rim protection for Utah is second to none in this league. Rudy Gobert is is a monster in that paint. Uh, Donovan Mitchell needs to get healthy, um, but I think that he's absolutely able to be a number one. Bojan Bogdanovic, another person that can score the best of them. Mike Conley's been waiting for that opportunity. Jordan Clarkson could be the leading six-man of the year candidate. You go over to Phoenix. Devin Booker is, is playing out of this world. Chris Paul has got him in this mode to where he's playing winning basketball. Somebody that I interviewed earlier this season before he really broke out, Michael Bridges. He is is out, such an important cog in that he is able to get stops. He is able to score with the best of them. He can shoot. Um, the length is very bothersome to everybody he guards. Um, you know, like they've got a lot of solid pieces. DeAndre Ayton, he's been a little up and down, but for the most part of the second part of the season, he's been solid. 
You know, I, I like them going out and getting a, a Tory Craig. Their bench has been probably the best in the NBA this season. Um, so that depth could play, you know, pay dividends for them. Uh, I, I still say that my favorite is the Clippers just because Paul George is playing out of his mind this year. Um, and I know that that's regular season, but I truly think he's on a mission this year uh, to, to prove everybody wrong. And, you know, all that talk about what was going on in the bubble and, and, and how he was, you know, not himself. I feel like Paul is really going to be out there uh, for blood this year. Um, and, and that goes without saying, you know, they kind of have this guy, Kawhi Leonard, <laughs> like, uh, you know, Nicholas Batum has been awesome. Marcus Morris has been very reliable. Have, not having Serge Ibaka definitely hurts, and he's had this back injury that's been bothering him. But again, the depth, Ivica Zubats, DeMarcus Cousins looking pretty solid for them since they signed him, and they signed him for the rest of the year. They bring in a guy like Rajon Rondo. You know, you talk about Luke Kennard, somebody who's shooting the lights out this year. So that's another team that has a chance. And then, of course, you can't leave out the Lakers, right? I know that LeBron has been dealing with that ankle and boy, oh boy, you really hope that it's not anything serious or that they're just being super precautionary. But, you know, you look at LeBron, you look at Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis looks healthy, so that's good. Um, But, you know, they're the defending chance for a reason. I know the roster makes it a little different. Um, We saw clearly against Denver that Marc Gasol has to play if Nikola Jokic is in the game. Um, You know, Andre Drummond hasn't quite been uh, what they expected as far as a, a contributor goes. Uh, and that goes uh, for just the versatility they have at that center position. They wanted to get a bigger body, someone like a Dwight Howard or a JaVale McGee uh, to help them out. But, you know, obviously they have Mark Gasol to be more of that stretch, more of that, that play facilitator, that passer up top. Uh, you got to find a way to get Montrez Harrell in the game. Like they, they've got plenty of talent. I like them bringing in, you know, a guy like Ben McLemore. Wesley Matthews has been okay as of late. Uh, Dennis Schroeder um, really, uh, you know, kind of up and down, uh, but we'll see what he does in the playoffs with someone like a LeBron and an AD. Hopefully LeBron is healthy at that point and doesn't have to look back. Uh, you know, read reports from Adrian Wojnarowski that he's not been able to make cuts and, and changing directions has been tough. Uh, so that's an unfortunate thing um, and kind of a sign that father time might be starting to come for him. Um, but that said, I think that there'll, there'll be a little bit of a slower start for the Lakers in the playoffs this year just because of that. Um, they, they haven't had all that much time together uh, with this particular group. Sure, the, the core is the same, but there are a lot of different pieces on this one. Um, obviously, LeBron and AD, that's the, the head of the snake. You have Kuz, who's played really well this year. Um, just, just kind of accepting his role and, and, you know, being the guy to get rebounds and, and, and make the big plays, uh, KCP as well. I mean, he started off torrid, went ice coal, and then now he's torrid again. Um, but I think the experience that those guys have is gonna, gonna help the guys that don't have the experience, uh, and the expectations of a championship win. Um, so you can never count them out, but again, I'm really curious to see how LeBron and AD play with some of these guys that they only have, they've had less than 50 games of experience with. Uh, I think that that's a a factor that you have to put into it, but you can't leave them out as a title favorite at all. So I think I agree with some of what you said, not uh, agreeing so much on 
Utah, Phoenix. Quit sitting on the fence. Pick a side. Oh, no. I, 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 I'm a Laker fan, and I think that the Lakers are in still in a good position to repeat. Um, I agree with a lot of things that you said about the Lakers in terms of the injury is not happening at the right time. LeBron's not able to move fluidly. That needs to be rectified in time for the playoffs. Right now, uh, the Lakers would be playing Denver in the playoffs, and Denver doesn't really scare me. They didn't scare me last year. Now, without Jamal Murray, without Jeremy Grant, without Plumlee, I'm even less intimidated. So although I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for them, um, because this is also a different Lakers roster, and I've said this before on, on earlier pods, I think this Laker roster is it feels a lot smaller, um, even though there is Andre Drummond um, and Marcus Gasol. Uh, just in terms of athleticism, Dwight Howard is just a, a different type of beast. JaVale McGee, his wingspan is off the charts. Um, Montrezl Harrell, like with the intensity and the energy that he brings, he's only 6'7", and he's very limited uh, you know, offensively. So I don't, I don't know how much they're going to be able to play him when it's a big, big team or when, it's a, a, you know, when they're down a lot of points. And I think that scares me about the Lakers, you know, them, with them not being able to repeat is the fact that they, they don't shoot the ball well. They didn't, they didn't do it last year either in terms of shooting from outside, but they had that huge discrepancy in size over everyone where they could just dominate inside if they wanted to. If they really wanted to, they could crash the glass. They don't have that same uh, discrepancy this year, and they still can't really shoot the, shoot the ball uh, from deep. Uh, KCP and Ben McLemore, Wes Matthews, probably the best outside shooters. Caruso has actually been shooting at a very good percentage, but I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know how um, that's going to materialize in the playoffs. Uh, Utah doesn't scare me that much because I think they live and die by the three a lot, although they've been doing it uh, very consistently this year. And I agree with you that Donovan Mitchell will help them play in, in, in the, in the half uh, court offenses and also Joe Ingles and having Mike Conley healthy. Joe Ingles is on my, one of my underrated rosters. He is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Like he can do it all. He's a, he's a Swiss army knife, really. Um, doesn't get a lot of fanfare, I think because of his age and because his game is not flashy, but <laughs> <laughs> he also doesn't look very flashy. So he's, he's a very unassuming uh, basketball player. Royce um, O'Neal should be on that list too, man. Yes. Honestly. Royce O'Neal too. He does. He, he does a lot of stuff that don't show up on the box score. And, uh, and yeah, they're a very good roster. I just wonder if that ability to shoot, <clears throat> sorry, shoot at a high clip from deep is going to last. And are they, you know, Rudy Gobert is a, a force inside uh, defensively. Um, I just think, I don't know, they don't worry me that much. I think the Clippers worry me a little bit more because like you said, Paul George has something to prove. He really does. It kind of mirrors the LeBron Miami that first year when he, fizzled out and disappeared for the summer and no one knew where he was, but he was obviously training and, and working on his game, working on, on the post up. It kind of, I, I'm a little bit worried about how, how Paul George is really going to have a chip on his shoulder and really going to have a complex. He, he could be deadly this playoffs. Kawhi is automatically a threat. As, um, as a Lakers fan, uh, would you like to see the Clippers in the first round? No, no, there no, you no, go. no. They they were. I don't want to see. I wouldn't want to see Utah in the first round either. I think I I'm okay with Denver as it stands. Um, 
I think I'm okay with Phoenix as, 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 as big of a star as Devin Booker is. And I love Devin Booker and Chris Paul is different beast. That could maybe go seven games if they were to play, but um, I still think the Lakers have the edge. Bit. Just still relatively young too. Yeah. You think and, about that. And, and, Coop, and Coop and I were talking about it earlier. Um, DeAndre Ayton has been so marginalized in that offense. He's he, like he's he, he's decent, but he's just not featured that much in the offense. So they're going to have Dario Saric and they're, if they're going to have uh, Mikhail Bridges, who has been another very underrated player, one of the most underrated defenders in the league. Um, they don't frighten me that much. Uh, in terms of Brooklyn, I I'm a huge Kevin Durant fan, like huge. I've I've argued against coop on this show i said i think he is and i'll say it to you spencer i think kevin durant is the best offensive player in nba history and and i mean that and i'm a huge liquor fan so i love kobe um miss kobe love kobe has so many great memories of kobe um mad i I love watching magic obviously i saw him afterwards i'm not that old but i and i love i love kareem abdul jabbar um but Kevin Durant just has so many things. He has the best mid-range in the game. I just don't know how he stopped in the playoffs. Even though Milwaukee has been successful lately against Brooklyn, they still haven't been able to contain Kevin Durant. And that's without James Harden in the mix. Like this team, like you said, is deep. They have some very um, underappreciated role players. So um, I think they're very much so a threat. A, A team that you didn't, I don't think you mentioned was Miami. And I think Miami's still in the fold. Um, if they can be healthy, I think I think they're still in the mix. I think Jimmy Butler's still <clears throat> one of the top players. I think he's been as 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 well as he's been playing this season. I still think he's he has his foot off the gas a little bit because the teams that went the furthest in the bubble last year, they've all been struggling this year. Denver, uh, Miami, um, the Lakers. Uh, the, the Boston, they've all been struggling uh, this season. They've had the, the deepest run and they had only 70 days or so, give or take each. Um, so I think Jimmy Butler has been saving himself. Uh, I, I like to see Oladipo healthy and on that court. Batman Adebayo is a, 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 a beast. Uh, Tyler Hero, I'm not a huge Tyler Hero guy, but I think he is a heat check guy. Duncan Robinson. Man, I, I I really didn't give Kelly Kelly Olenek enough uh, credit. Coop is a big fan of Kelly Olenek. He looks fantastic in Houston. Man, they're missing him. Um, so I think I think that'll that'll hurt them. Uh, the Bucks, not a believer in Giannis yet, although he's looked good over the past couple games hitting the three, and uh, I think he's improved his percentage actually this year. Um, and he's still a fantastic player. I just. Mm, they didn't have Drew Holiday last year, Kareem. They, they did not have Drew Holiday last year. They did not. Nor a Bobby Portis. Nor a Bobby or Portis. Or a Brim Forbes off the bench that can let, shoot the lights out either. So those they did three, change some things. They did. And those are three guys. Yeah. And Chris Middleton, although they're last year. PJ Tucker they brought in. Yeah. I mean, they, they've made moves and they have made adjustments. So that's kind yeah. of what keeps me a little bit intrigued about them. Even though the Coach Budenholzer, you know, stigma comes into play. That does keep me a little bit intrigued. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. like And all those guys that they brought in can all hit the three mm-hmm. and can hit them if hit the three efficiently. Um, I think PJ Tucker has the most like baseline threes or a very corner God. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly what he is. Um, he knows his role. 
And I'm trying to think, Philly. Philly to me, Embiid's been playing his lights out. I think he's the MVP. Um, Coop says he would be MVP if, you know, if he played more games. And that's a fair argument. I have no, I'm not, I'm not going to get at him for that. But I, to me, it's, it's, it's Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. I put him as number the number two guy. I don't know where they're scoring after that. I don't know how they're going to score Ben Simmons with his bunnies and his floaters. I don't know how, how well that's going to go in the half-court offense. Fantastic transition player, fantastic defender, but I worry about Ben Simmons. Seth Curry threes. That's where it's coming from. They didn't have they didn't have that last year either. Jake Milton's still there. Jake Milton is there. Superstar. And they make Danny Danny Green's now there. But Danny Green is hit or miss. He is very hit or miss. You you would know as a Laker fan for sure. (laughs) He's mostly he's mostly miss, for being honest. (laughs) Not this year, not this year. 40% from deep this year, fellas. The funny thing with Danny Green is he was rumored to be on the way out at the trade deadline. And then apparently they stuck with him. So, well, we already mentioned Dwight Howard. I mean, that's a hell of a backup for, for Embiid too in the playoffs. Um, You know, picking up a guy like George Hill, someone who's been there, done that. Um, But, but, but I hear your, your concerns on that end. I'm not going to push back against that. Um, I just think that their defense and their, their, their ability to pester you is really solid. And um, I, I think, if you get into a matchup with someone like an Embiid who can both stretch the floor and also post up the hell out of you, um, or, or some, I, I said this earlier in the season, I'm like, I've never seen a guy at Joel Embiid's size have the, the handles that he has and also someone that can pull up from 15 uh, after stomping on a dime. I'm like, there ain't nobody else in the league that's doing that at his size <laughs> or looking as pretty doing it, doing that. Uh, yeah. But their X factor for me is Matisse Thibel. You can pull him out and, and and put him on any any player you want to uh, in in the offseason, and I'd be so so convinced that you could stop him. Yeah. I, I love Matisse Thybul defensively. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Spencer, I'm going to put you on the spot as the last question for you. Who are the two teams in the finals this year? Really quick, who's in the finals? Okay, uh, let's go. Go with my pick from the. I love it. I love it. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Sixers Clippers. Oh, yes. Wow. That's my kind of prediction. I love it. And what a rivalry that would be for Doc Rivers. That would wow. be that'd be full circle right there. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, the predictions isn't my game, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play along for this one. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody, please go follow him on Twitter at Spin Davies. Check his workout at basketballnews.com. Subscribe to his podcast. Keep it 94. He hosts it with Brian Fritz. It's one of the best basketball podcasts in the world. You must go listen to it. It is absolutely amazing. I second that. Fantastic content <laughs> and fantastic conversation. You know what, Spencer? If uh, the Clippers and the Sixers make it, you look like a genius. And if not, we won't tell anybody that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, fellas. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me on. Thanks. We don't fact check or keep brackets here, so you're golden. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Spencer. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, guys. Uh, No problem. Anytime you need me, uh, please hit me up. Okay. Thank you so much to Spencer Davies. We really appreciate it. Again, go follow him on Twitter at Spin Davies. Download his podcast, keep it at 94. And of course, check him out at basketballnews.com. Well, was that one of our best interviews ever? I think it was. I agree with you, man. I cannot wait 
for what's going to happen in the NBA season. The final few weeks are so exciting to me. Are you looking forward to this? If things work out well for the Lakers, yes. So we will be back next week to talk what is going to happen with those Lakers and a lot more. So look forward to that. Please follow us on Twitter as well at Rookie Phenoms. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts, including Verbal, which I promise you is a real thing now. Yes, I actually saw an email from them, so it's legit. I'm not. I, I, I've seen emails too, and I'm still not 100 percent sure it's legit. <laughs> Please go go to UndraftedSports.com. We are now on their podcast network. They are putting out great work every week. I, I love what they're doing there. I can't. I'm so excited about what's going on there. 100. Um, percent This network is going to be something so different than what you've seen. We, there's articles, podcasts, content. Uh, hopefully, merch uh soon and and there's just a bunch of talent on there so check it out 100 there's podcast of the week that we have called always compete a seahawks podcast it's obviously about the seattle seahawks and this week they're having an interview with <clears throat> sorry undrafted running back josh johnson from ul monroe so check that out it's going to be a great Great interview. Okay, uh, so get look forward to us coming back next week with some more great content. Thank you, Evan, for listening. Have a great night. We out.